Warning, this podcast contains strong language, graphic nudity, and depictions of extreme stupidity and is meant only for mature audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Or not, you do you. Welcome to the worst podcast on Mars, also known as Bubble Bubble Toil and Trouble. I'm Amanda. Is that Macbeth? I think so. And that's Evan. I'm knowledgeable. (laughs) That's who I am today. And this is the podcast that talks music. We're working through the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame's uh, list of 200 definitive albums. And each week we bring you an album and we talk about the history and why it was so popular and try to figure out why it's on that list. And this week we're doing Red Hot Chili Peppers, Blood Sugar, Sex Magic. But before we get into that, how you doing? Doing all right. I am actually trying to figure out that witch's thing now. (laughs) Yes, it's from Macbeth. Well, there you go. I tried to do some kind of like spooky name for each one of these that we're doing in Spooktober. And uh, when Blood Sugar Sex Magic kind of, when you read it, it kind of sounds like a, in my mind, I had like a, you know, witches standing over a cauldron kind of doing like a, their potions and stuff like that. So that's where I came up with that. You don't give a shit. So... <laughs> Any corrections from last week? It was uh, Notorious B.I.G.'s Life After Death? I don't think so. Did It's hard for me to have corrections because I don't do notes. Correct. Yes, that is that is a fair statement. I don't have any corrections that I can think of. Um, grievances? Other than you, no. <laughs> fair. All right, well, I'm just going to get into it then. So, we are doing Red Hot Chili Peppers Blood Sugar Sex Magic, which was released September 24th, 1991, and is number 88 on that Rock and Roll Hall of Fame list. Don't you feel old now? You should shut your face. You ready? No. All right. Blood Sugar Sex Magic was the fifth studio album for Red Hot Chili Peppers and was released to coincide with the release of Nirvana's Nevermind, who they would later go on to tour with. This album was recorded in a Laurel Canyon mansion that was believed to be owned by Nazis by Harry Houdini, but had never been confirmed. Okay. At the time, three of the four members opted to stay in the mansion for the entirety of these recordings. However, the holdout was drummer Chad Smith, who decided to commute home each day in order to stay with his wife. Discount Will Ferrell. Are you just going to, every time I end a sentence, are you just going to pop in and say something? This is going to be a long episode. Although, the rumor is that this mansion is incredibly haunted, and Smith didn't want any part of that. However, according to Fruscianti, JFK, (laughs) these spirits were not malevolent and didn't mean any harm. In fact, the group included a photo of them at the mansion as part of the album artwork that may or may not contain a ghost. The picture is a deep red photo contained in the inner sleeve and shows the band embracing each other while a translucent disc floats on by. I did not know that necessarily when I started these notes, and I'm going to go into that a little bit more later, but I thought that was a really good pick. I totally picked this as part of Spooktober, for the name of it, I thought it kind of sounded a little spooky. 
not knowing that they recorded it in a supposedly haunted mansion. So I thought that was kind of a fun little twist to it. Did you ever watch the... I don't want to say old Haunted Mansion, but it was the one with Eddie Murphy. I don't know if there's one. I've never seen that. seen any of them. Have you been on the ride? I've not been to Disney. That didn't answer my question. So no. Okay. <laughs> Blood Sugar was a dramatic shift in sound for the group, which can be credited to the removal of their producer, Michael Beinhorn, and the addition of Rick Rubin, who has been working with the group since. This album is where the Chili Peppers created the sound that is associated with them now. Up until this point, their first four albums did well enough, but the band wasn't upset by it. They were happy just to do their thing. They didn't care about fame. Unfortunately, while this album was so successful for the band, it wasn't without its consequences. Blood Sugar brought them an an updated celebrity status but this very quickly began to take a toll on the members, not just within the group, but in their personal lives as well. It was just the very next year that member John Fruscianti left, which we talked about in our Californication episode. So they um, they were just kind of mediocre, I guess, as you can say. In their first four albums, they sold well, but not great. I know the albums I'm looking at, the catalog... You might know a few songs from their first mm-hmm. four albums, but nothing really. Right. This is where they blew up. I think they did a uh, Dylan cover. Mm-hmm. So this is where they blew up. In what Dylan cover? Uh, Subterranean, Homesick Blues. Okay. And they, they just blew up, and with it came this new level of like fame that they didn't really care about. And it kind of got to John's head, and we talked about, like, he developed, they all had issues with drugs, but he kind of went hardcore, and finally they were like, we're done. Your hand is raised, I'm sorry, three fingers are raised in a German three, and now you're just That's not a German it. three, that's a German three. That's a German three? Yeah. You are correct. What do you want? Uh... The one before this, that you can make an argument that they had started to go to the sound because that's where their cover higher ground is. Mm, okay, but still. But I haven't. I don't know how that plays in with the rest of the album, but I can start seeing a shift towards that. Well, maybe you can connect what you just said to what I'm about to say. So, fun fact: this was only the second album the band had done with Fruscianti when they auditioned him. Fruscianti originally wanted to be part of Frank Zappa's group, but didn't care for the strictness that Zappa held, specifically the zero-tolerance drug and alcohol policies. No drugs. So he came to Chili Peppers in the previous album, which had higher ground, like you just said. So that might be why it sounds a little similar, because you have this, that's where they brought him in. Fun fact. Most of the recording period for this album was documented by bassist Flea's brother-in-law and turned into a film called Funky Monks, which is the title of one of the album's tracks. When was the Tube Sock performance? Do you have any idea? What is that? You don't know the Tube Sock performance? I do not know what you speak of. Continue, and I will will pull up an article. Okay. So, that's all I had for the background. The biggest part of it was really... They recorded in a haunted mansion. The guys were like, that's cool. We're just broing out here. 
and they kind of changed things up to where this album just took off for them. So what? The sock incident was 10 years earlier. The red. Okay. So this is July 3rd, 1983. This is uh, apparently their first tour. The red hot chili peppers take the stage at the Kit Kat club in Hollywood wearing nothing but socks. Not on their feet. Well, yeah, I kind of had a idea where yeah. this... No, I hadn't heard of that. You hadn't heard that story? No. Um, so do you kind of understand maybe right now why it might be on this list? Maybe a little bit. Just kind of. <laughs> Great conversation. I'm so- trying to add things and you like... No, your ideas are stupid. The, what you add is like, no. So I'm like, okay, fine. I can play that Did game I too. Did I specifically say those words to you? Not in regards no, to this I episode. Say, I didn't say those. Okay, so now I'm going to get into like how it charted and, and the, how it sold. Um, Blood Sugar Sex Magic is credited with the development of rap rock, alternative rock, and the new metal genres. It peaked at number three on the Billboard Top 200 Albums chart and was certified gold just over two months after release and hit platinum status the following April. It went on to earn seven times platinum status in the U.S. and would sell millions of copies. The singles released were Give It Away, Under the Bridge, Suck My Kiss, Breaking the Girl, and If You Have to Ask. Give It Away hit number one on the modern rock chart and just barely made it into the Billboard Hot 100. It would go on to win a Grammy for Best Hard Rock Performance with Vocals. Under the Bridge hit number two on the mainstream rock and number six on the modern rock charts. It also went to number two on the Billboard Hot 100. And again, your hand is raised. What do you want? Both of them combined to form the Bedrock Anthem for um, Weird Al. Oh, okay. Yeah, Weird Al did a Flintstones-themed more give it away, but it starts with the... Uh, under the bridge oh okay i didn't know that a little more context when you bring in i was i was saying it and then you rudely interrupted me by a german three-finger salute sure fun fact the song under the bridge wasn't a favorite of ketis's initially written as a way to deal with his feelings of alienation due to sobriety ruben encouraged ketis to keep a notebook full of lyrics and include them on the album at first, Ketis was hesitant as the lyrics were incredibly vulnerable. They included the song on the album, but it wasn't until after the release of the album that Warner Brothers decided to use it as a single. A Warner Brothers rep went to one of the band's shows to get a sense of how the crowd was feeling towards the new song and which songs might work best as a single. Ketis missed the, his vocal cue to start Under the Bridge. When the entire crowd began singing the lyrics to help him out, the rep decided that it was a perfect single. So we almost didn't have it as a single that we knew, but he he missed his cue. The fans are like, we got you, boo. And the rep was like, this is, this is fantastic. It absolutely needs to be released. Is it we got you, boo, because it's Spooktober? Yes. So that is all I had. Now that I... It wasn't a lot of charting information and stuff, and really, only two songs did well for them, but the album as a whole sold so well. So, does that explain it? Why? I think it was a. I think it's like a um, 
pop culture thing. I I think so too. Right, I think that's the same kind of thing with Stone Temple Pilots. Mm-hmm. Under the Bridge is still such a recognizable song, such a good song, and actually. I'm fairly certain it was playing on the radio one time when I was working on these notes. It was, there was one I was working on recently that the song I was typing about in that moment came on. It's just, it, it's still played so much, you know, and I know I hear Under the Bridge at least once a week. It's, it's a good song, but I will get into my sources and then you can give me your review. So okay. thank you to 30 Years of Red Hot Chili Peppers Blood Sugar Sex Magic by Cameron B. Gunno, published two years ago on ClassicRockHistory.com. Thank you to 31 Years Ago Red Hot Chili Peppers Unleashed Blood Sugar Sex Magic by Chad Childers, published September 24th, 2022 on Loudwire.com. Thank you to number 186 Red Hot Chili Peppers Blood Sugar Sex Magic, published April 2nd, 2021 by Brett Sweets, published on... See, you need to do that one last, so I kind of have a general idea to figure out what to throw, because all I can think of is the Tomb Sweet Tomb pillow from Big Lots, so I'll say he worked for Big Lots. Okay, rs500albums.com. Thank you to How Blood Sugar Sex Magic Almost Killed the Red Hot Chili Peppers by Philip Wilding, published September 20th, 2022 on loudersound.com. And thank you to Red Hot Chili Peppers Blood Sugar Sex Magic Turns 30 Anniversary Retrospective by Justin Chadwick, published September 20th, 2021, and albumism.com. And before I let you give your review, I have started doing that actively. Like, if I can find that Rolling Stone one, I will actively wait, do my other resources, come back to that one, and find one thing from it that I can stick in that I haven't found and then that way I can quote it last <laughs> just so you can do that <laughs> okay Evan give me your review so how do you want me to do this review do you want me to do it like I normally do and tell you all the songs that I kept or you want me to tell you the songs that I didn't keep which would be easier <laughs> you tell me I don't I didn't do your review well which would be easier just I guess tell me the songs that you didn't keep because it sounds like you didn't keep as many Okay, so I did not keep Breaking the Girl, uh, and then I could have lied Mellow Ship, Slinky, and B Major, The Righteous and the Wicked, and then The Greeting Song, My Lovely Man, and I don't have an issue with Sir Psycho Sexy, it's just I didn't keep it as my playlist. I wouldn't mind listening to it, but it's not one that's on my playlist. So I don't know if you can pull up the track listing in front of you, but that's a big block that I like, and then a dip, and then a big block, mm-hmm. and then a dip, and then a big block, and then a dip. And that is where I have a problem with this album. It's it's a good album. It Here's the comparison that I can think of is uh, Enema of the State by Blink-182. It's not necessarily a good album, but it's a fun album to listen to. You know what I mean? I don't think... That, in my opinion, it's not necessarily going to win any, like, top 10 album of all time list. Mm-hmm. But it's going to be on somebody's, if you if you have a top 10 list of just fun albums to listen to, it might sneak in at number 9 or 10, or just miss the cut. Does that make sense? Yeah. And then my problem with it is... 
there's too many dips. There's too many low points. Like, let's say you take out the greeting song and you move Suck My Kiss to, or Breaking the Girl to after Suck My Kiss. Then you have a big block and then you have a little bit of a dip and then you have a big block and then you have a little bit of a dip that ends on a upswing with uh, their red hot. Mm-hmm. So you just move a little thing, a little bit around, get rid of one of the dips, one of the songs for the dip. Like if it's if it's 16 tracks instead of 17 and you get rid of one of the dips, it bumps it up a little bit because it there was a little too much downtime for me in this one. Does that make sense? Right. And I know we talked before that I get deluxe versions that we don't necessarily count towards this. Uh, there's a bonus track. There are two bonus tracks, Little Miss Lover and Castles Made of Sand. Mm-hmm. I kept Castles Made of Sand, and if you replace, let's take My Lovely Man with Castles Made of Sand, if you switch those two, that lowers or that gets rid of that dip a little bit, which is kind of what my main issue with that is. Right. It, it can't get to an A because there's too much of a dip. Like I said, you take one of those out, and that'll bump it up enough. But it would be a B plus. Okay. And it's like, Enema of the State's kind of the same way. There's a little bit in there, but it's got less of a dip. So that's like an A minus kind of album. There's there's just a little too much. That's that's not good for me. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. So and it's, and I don't think it's the order this time. I think it's, well, if you took all of them and maybe put the dips closer together and had one big dip towards the end of side one into the beginning of the side two. So you have this high note and then you start to go down a little bit and then you end on a high note though. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe that gets a two and a minus, but as it sits, it would have the most I could give it would be a B plus, which is a lot better than I've given a lot of the albums recently. Mm-hmm. A B plus is really good for me. It, it is, because your music's numb. No. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what I have to say, other than no? Hmm. Prove it. Mm. So, yeah, and I, I kind of figured that's where you might be with it, because... It's better than... What was the other one? Californication? Yeah. It's so much better than that. This is, this is such a good album, it's just there's too much of a dip mm-hmm. for me to rate it highly. But I enjoy the album. This is... This is the first time, this is the first one in a while, first long episode in a while that I've actually enjoyed yeah. listening to. Makes sense. My, my turn? Can we just be done and just say it was good? <laughs> so, um, at the time this came out, I certainly wasn't old enough to go out and buy the album on my own, and I was definitely not old enough to understand the meaning behind any of the lyrics. TLC. Fair. But I did, TLC came out a little later when I had saved up money from chores and stuff. So I was able to buy it. I don't think TLC was that much later. 94, I think. 93, 94. This was 91. It's still not that much later. No, but I was only eight. I don't think we had moved to that other neighborhood yet. So I wasn't doing anything to get money. Freeloader. (laughs) Pretty much. Um... So I was familiar with Under the Bridge and Give It Away because of all the mainstream play it got, but I never ever heard more than that before. 
having listened to it before this podcast. I will say one of the things that this, I believe, was part of the full albums for Rock Band. Mm -hmm. So I was familiar with most of the album going into it. Like, I love Naked in the Rain. Mm -hmm. I loved listening to that because that and, uh, is it Blister in the Sun? Yeah. Those two little lines are, I just, Flea's fun. Yeah. Donnie from the Wild Thornberries is just nuts. <laughs> um, so I really liked Under the Bridge and Give It Away. I've always liked those songs. but So I knew before going into this that I would I would add those to my playlist. Um, I've always heard how good this album was. Back when we did Californication, I mentioned that I was more... Um, there. I mentioned that was where more of my relationship with the Chili Peppers was strongest because it came at a time where I had a bit more control over the kind of music that I wanted to listen to. However, I never went back to this album to check out more than the songs I knew. I ended up liking Californication so well that I was excited to listen to this one, but waited because I knew that we were going to do this in October. And what? Your hand is So, based on... The two songs that you knew, did you have an idea of what you th- were going to think of this album? Honestly, I thought it, there was not really going to be a difference. Okay. But you're talking one end of the decade to the other. I don't know. So right away, I loved the sound. The Power of Equality has such a good bass sound right away. It's so good. I also liked how it kind of flowed right into the next song. I like songs that have a seamless transition like that. I also really like the bluesy sound of Funky Monks, but I ultimately didn't care for the song as a whole. And that was kind of how the rest of the album went for me. Outside of Under the Bridge and Give It Away, it was all kind of so-so. It had great guitar and bass riffs here and there, but it was all sort of kind of underwhelming for me. Side question for you. Okay. And this is in my notes that I'm reading just now. Not having this conversation with you two minutes ago. Was Naked in the Rain on Rock Band or Guitar Hero? It sounded really familiar, but I can't figure out why. Yeah, and I <laughs> I love that bass solo for that. that uh, is, that's one of those that, it when I originally listened to it, for whatever reason, it went from Under the Bridge to The Greeting Song. And then it, it went through the rest. I was like... Where's Naked in the Rain? I want to listen to that song. Mm -hmm. And I also missed Apache Rose Peacock. So I kept The Power of Equality, Breaking the Girl, Give It Away, and Under the Bridge. And I gave it a B minus. I wish I would have liked more of it. I I think if you listen to it a couple more times, it's it's one of those albums. But as, as of right now, I prefer Californication to this. But should I even bother with final thoughts for you? No. Nope. <laughs> as a whole, I didn't care for this album as much as I did Californication, and I think a lot of that has to do with my experience with them. Californication was the chili pepper area that I knew. This one was good, but Californication was better, in my opinion. Also, it would be hard for me to agree that this was their biggest, but I also haven't listened to their first four. From what I read, it was really the accessibility to Under the Bridge that sold this album, which I can absolutely see. It was good, but I didn't think it was great. Weird fact, as I write these notes, Under the Bridge is playing on our classic rock station. 
<laughs> I knew it was one of these coming up. Um, so you hear it a lot. But, um, all right. What do you want to do? Because every, every week you do these in a different order. Do you want to do birthdays this day in history or your recommendations? Or the question corner that you started earlier this year and randomly do every now and then? Do I have to do things? No, we can just skip to recommendations and then call it good. So, speaking of recommendations, we'll just do that first. How's that sound? Okay. So, I recommend playing a game with someone that you can tolerate. <laughs> and that can tolerate your bullshit of changing the rules every single time you play the game. Changing the rules in the middle of the game to suit you so you win. I do no such thing. Prove it. You do such things. Not in that game. I changed the rules to affect me in other games that we're playing. Like, we were playing a game and I said, okay, I'll let you win if we can do this in a different game. So Evan and I... Every day while we eat dinner, we play some gin and put point values on it. Drink some gin, too. And then when we play an even number of gin games, we end it with poker. Is it Texas Hold'em? Texas Hold'em. And, um, and we're very dramatic on things, and we make up a lot of house rules. And it kind of it works for us, and it makes it a little more fair to the other person so the other person's not getting stuck with a bunch of points and and um and then when you play poker you can bet using the points you want in gin it's just a weird thing we do and we <laughs> we try to be respectful of the other person so like i said you're not stuck with a bunch of points and then sometimes we're just like hey do you want to get completely screwed over and then we wager that on something not even related to the current game we're playing well if i let you take all these points then- i want this player in fantasy football <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> and we're just making shit up on the fly we take house rules to an extreme and but it's just the two of us and it's kind of fun that we have all these little twists on things that's your recommendation yes can i give you my recommendation don't lose no so if you're looking to get on the spookier side of things, I highly suggest the podcast Two Girls, One Ghost. They had an episode back on June 28th, 2020, which was number 131 Boogie Nights, where they talked haunted music recording locations. Um, they talked in detail about the hauntings that Red Hot Chili Pepper, specifically Ketis, dealt with. Also, in the first part of the episode, they talked about the estate where Radiohead was haunted during their OK Computer sessions, which I brought up when we did that episode. It was done really well, and they gave a lot of detail about the spooky stuff. So if you're into that, I suggest that. And like I said, it's um, episode number 131 from June 28th, 2020 on uh, Two Girls, One Ghost. Which I, I was listening to that episode while I was working on these notes and that second part came in and they were talking about this and I'm like, this is weird. This is so weird, but interesting to me. So I had to add it. Yeah. It'd it'd be interesting to kind of go through, not saying that you don't, but somebody that has more time to dedicate to research and see some of these things Mm -hmm. and go more in depth. Well, and they do, they do the spooky side of it. You know, I, I didn't want to go to, I could have, because their segments 
depending on the topic and everything, their se- their two segments are roughly 25 minutes, a half hour a piece. So I could have talked a whole half hour about this mansion. And I decided that's not what this podcast is, so we're not going to do it. You know, Not this episode? Not this episode. So I... But it was fun just to hear that side of it because I do enjoy that stuff. So, all right. You doing birthdays? Birthdays? Birthdays. October 20th. Okay? Okay. So, not Friday the 13th anymore. October 20th. This You're wearing year. Friday the 13th pants. <laughs> It has Jason's face all over them. Yeah, it's my spooky pants. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. Continue. Jelly Roll Morton. Okay. U.S. pianist, arranger, band leader, the first great composer in jazz. Uh-huh. 18. There's two more years after... That's how this works. He was born. Oh, I know. I know. He was born two thousand years ago. It's eighteen hundreds, but I don't know if it's eighteen eighty something or eighteen ninety something. Are you sure it's eighteens? Might be seventeens. It is not that. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Nineteen eighty nine. Eighteen eighty nine. I knew it would be older. I just, uh, yep. Hit the wrong button. Please hold. Okay, so we're going to jump. Like Van Halen. Okay. And just so you know, he's dead now. Oh, Evan. Jay Siegel from American male doo wop style vocal group The Tokens who had the 1961 U.S. number one and U.K. number 11 single with its cover of Solomon Linda's The Lion Sleeps Tonight. I didn't know that song was that old. 1924. 39. Okay. John Carter, but not the one from Mars. Okay. I think that's Edgar Rice Burroughs' character. Movie that the worst the, movie that, that Disney's ever yeah. made? Well... Disney's made some worse movies than that that are not appropriate to mention. Who, with the Ivy League, had the 1965 UK number three single, Tossing and Turning. I know that song. Okay. 1939. 42. I don't know if you've heard of this guy. He's an American singer and songwriter. He's a front man of the Heartbreakers. And was a founding member of the 1980s supergroup, The Traveling Wilburys and Mud Crutch. Name was Tom Petty. 1945. 50. Okay. Have you ever heard of The Traveling Wilburys? Yeah, we've we've talked about them before. I think it's him, Dylan, I want to say George Harrison, Roy Orbison. Yeah. It's a very interesting group of people. Uh, there are not a lot of names that I recognize. Uh, Alan Greenwood, keyboardist with English-American rock band Foreigner, who scored the 1985 UK and US number one single, I Want to Know What Love Is. They're one of the world's best-selling bands of all time with worldwide sales of more than 80 million records. 
56. 51. Okay, here's a band that you don't know. Jim Sonnefield? S-O-N-E-F-I-L-D. Okay. The drummer with Hootie and the Blowfish. Oh, I love me some Hootie and the Blowfish. Who had the 1995 Yes Number One album. Um, oh, shit. I can see it. I can see the cover of it. I had to hold my hand on it. What, what is it? Cracked rear view. Okay. 1964. You sure? Yes, because when you do that shit, then I'm right. 1964. Suck butt. We'll do one more. Okay. And now I'm not entirely sure how to pronounce his last name, but I'm going to try. Okay? Is it something stupid like Smith? No. What is it? Calvin Brodus, or is it Broadus? Broadus, I think. 1993 U.S. number one album. You have any idea? No. Doggy style. Doggy style. Oh, that's Snoop Dogg. Sno- well, no, it's Snoop Doggy Dog is what it says. Doggy Dog. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Um. He's younger than what I think. Because he was, he was a teenager when Dre brought him on. And that album was what like year? 93? And he was only 16? So math? My brain broke? 77. <laughs> 71. I, I, I couldn't, like, there were too many numbers floating around in my head. So, do you want to go to In This Day? Yep. So, October 20th, 1955. These two artists both appeared at Brooklyn High School Auditorium in Cleveland. What year? 1955. I don't know. Elvis. Okay. And Bill Haley and his comments. Oh, okay. Okay. In 1960... Roy Orbison had his first UK number one single with... Pretty Woman. Only the Lonely. Oh, okay. I know that song. Okay. This band... Because I need the full band, not just the not just the guy that you know from it. Started a two-week run at number one on the US singles chart in 1962 with Monster Mash. It became a night, number three in the UK 11 years later... The song had been banned in the BBC in the UK, deemed offensive. So I need the artist, the full artist. You need the full artist. For Monster Mash. You'll know half of it. Song for Monster Mash, which I am totally not looking. Bobby Boris Pickett and the Crypt Keeker. Crypt? Crypt Keeker. Fuck. <laughs> Who is it? I give up. Crypt Kicker 5. Crypt and the Crypt Kickers. Kickers. It stops at Crypt-Kick and then there's dots. And then I swear that in the song he says Crypt Kicker. Crypt Keeper 5. I'm just going to put down my phone. <laughs> okay. In 1964... The Rolling Stones played their first live concert in what country? 
Australia. France. <laughs> okay. So I need you to look at me because this is sad. <laughs> okay? Mm-hmm. So I'm going to give you some information and i need you to tell me the band that this is related to okay yes so three members of this band and their manager were all killed when their rented plane ran out of fuel and crashed into a densely wooded thicket in the middle of a swamp crash seriously injured the rest of the band and crew who were due to play at louisiana university that evening and if you look the album, I, I believe it's the album right before this, they're all standing in front of a fire that looks like there is an accident in the background. Who is this again? Skinnerd. Oh, okay. The I think it's The Soul Survivors was the album right before this. Oh. It's weird how we've come across a few albums... Like like Biggie and Tupac were something like that where they they like predicted the death, and then the next one, that one died. I'm seeing if I can. I'm totally not looking it up on my phone right now to mm-hmm. send to you. Mm-hmm. In 1979, the Eagles started a nine week run at number one on the U.S. album chart with. Hell freezes over. The long run. So real quick, I found the album. It's not Soul Survivors, it's Street Survivors. Okie dokie. Okay. Here's another guessing game for you, okay? Mm-hmm. In 1984, Wham! started a three-week three run at number one on the UK singles chart with... Careless Whisper. No. Wake Me Up. No. What? Freedom. What's the always the song I forget? The duo second number one. In 2003, this artist released her debut album named after Frank Sinatra. I don't know. Amy Winehouse. Back back to black? No. Frank. Oh. Her other album. I didn't know it was named after him. In 2006, George Michael openly did what during the interview on a TV show? Uh, the singer was filmed backstage in Madri- in Madrid. Said it's the only thing I've ever thought w- that was worth doing. This stuff keeps me sane and happy, but it's not very healthy. I don't know. Smoking a joint. Okay. And in 2018, again, sad. Look at me. Sad. <laughs> On what would have been Tom Petty's 68th birthday, the city of Gainesville renamed the former Northeast Park. A park where a young Petty had often visited as Tom Petty Park. Yeah, because that wasn't too long ago. It was 17. Sounds a lot longer than what I thought. So is that all you had? For this one. Alright, so you done then? Anything else you want to say? Boo! So thank you for listening. You can find us on Instagram and threads at Worst Pod on Mars. You can find us on Facebook at Worst Podcast on Mars. You can support us by leaving a rating and review on whatever podcast um, app you listen to us on. Um, you can send us an email at worstpodonmars at gmail.com. You can uh, send us a suggestion for an album because on Tuesdays we come back and we do these small episodes where we stay away from this rock and roll hall of fame list and we um i try to give you a few little history tidbits 
about an album, but we review it and uh, they say all the things. I don't know, but before we go, mm-hmm. do you think they could reach us by Carrier Pigeon? Probably. You want to set up a pigeon station out back? Yeah. Can we do that? <laughs> Give Spleen something to watch? Add it to the list of projects that you never complete. But next week, we're going to do Eagles. Hell freezes over. Bye bye <laughs>